Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. And these days, there's been a lot in print. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover the national political beat for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me this week at our Arizona Capitol Bureau are... I'm Ricardo Cano. I cover education. Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Dustin Gardner. I cover the state legislature. This week on The Gaggle, a lot of petition gatherers might be hitting you up for your signature, but why? And what's going on with U.S. Senator John McCain? But first, there are a lot of political implications about uh, the Red for Ed movement, which started as a small kind of quiet grassroots group that quickly mushroomed into marches and protests and bans. The Red for Ed movement showed what could be done by everyday people if they made their demands and showed up at the state capitol. Dustin, how might their muscle be flexed in the lead up to the 2018 cycle? After um, Sine die, you know, we were all there until late um, Friday, or I guess late Thursday night, early Friday morning, just after midnight. They finally adjourned after a marathon couple of days. Most lawmakers had only got an hour, a couple hours of sleep. Um, but, uh, you know, from from the very end of the session, the governor's office was working hard to spread the message that they approved a plan with 20 percent teacher pay raises. Um, mathematically speaking, that isn't it's not going to be possible for every teacher to get a 20 percent raise under their plan. Um, that's just a fact. Um, but they are you know, they are trying hard to push the message that they got their 20 by 20 plan and that there are substantial raises. And. I think Republicans feel like th- that voters rem- will remember they were the ones that passed that at the polls. But um, on the flip side, teachers with the movement really aren't happy. Um, they don't feel like the governor, what the governor passed um, and the legislature passed, meets their demands beyond you know just their pay raises, and they all won't get a 20% pay raise. And they also ask for the raise within one year, not three years. Um, but beyond that, you know, their big concern was classroom funding and. Even with this investment, you know, the state is going to be below um, 2008 funding levels. We're still going to be thousands of dollars below um, the national average for per-pupil funding. Um, So I think heading into the fall, there's a lot of um, grassroots momentum and attention um, around those issues, and that could be very helpful for Democrats. A lot of the teachers I talked to who were, you know, um, there till the waiting hours had spent, you know, <laughs> had spent the better part of, you know, a couple of weeks at the legislature. They, you know, they said that at the end of this whole emotional journey, they are just not happy with the deal. And I talked to one teacher um, right before Sine die, and she she's a registered Republican, and she said, I'm not going to vote for incumbent Republicans this year. It's also interesting that, I mean, you had so many people stick it out till the bitter end. And normally, the only people who do that are staffers, reporters, lawmakers. And and lobbyists. Oh, yeah, and of course lobbyists. I always forget about them. But yeah, I mean, they're like, might as well be voting in some cases themselves. But what was that like to be down here, you know, have these people camp out here and actually show up? I I had an interesting conversation with Leela Alston, um, a representative from Phoenix. Um, She's the longest serving state lawmaker at this point. She's served um, a total of 26 sessions since uh, since the late 1970s. And, you know, she said nothing like this has ever happened before. You've never seen a sustained movement of tens of thousands of people down at the Capitol over a period of weeks. and it, yeah, it was just kind of stunning to be in, you know, on the House floor and the Senate floor 
in, in those final days of the session because um, for, you know almost every almost every minute the gallery was filled with someone you know every seat in the gallery was filled with someone wearing a red shirt and they were there until the bitter end and it's yeah it's just kind of unprecedented in terms of a grassroots movement. We also had some behind the scenes business, I guess you could say, happening um, in the final hours. There was talk that the uh, leadership of both chambers were talking about whether or not they had the votes to try to repeal um, the expansion of last year's uh, school voucher style program. This is a program that gives um, certain parents public funds to uh, spend on private school tuition, religious school tuition, educational therapies. Um, It's a highly controversial program now that it's been um, expanded to everyone that law's been put on hold. A group of these teachers and public school advocates um, have forced a referendum. It's supposed to go to the ballot in November, Um, but they were worried that Republicans might try to pull one over on them at the end. Yeah, I mean, I Republicans are concerned that having that voucher initiative on the ballot gives momentum to Democrats um, head into the fall. Um, I don't think they want that fight on the ballot this year, given all all the difficulties they've faced and uh, what we've seen in other uh, elections in terms of Democratic momentum. Um, and yeah, until the end, uh, you know, until Signe die, Republicans were fighting to get that repealed. You know, I saw Kathy Herod, um, you know, with the Center for Arizona Policy huddled with lawmakers, you know, um, that, w- that I think we're pushing for that. Um, and you had the governor's office leaning hard on um, Republicans in the Senate, like Bob Worsley. Um, and, you know, w- one of the, the, the one of the people that was a kind of a could have been a, a key vote in that was um, Senator David Farnsworth, who had been out of town at a prayer event. And as I was wandering the halls in the final hours of the legislature, I overheard lobbyists talking about um, sending an Uber to get him from the airport. And people were trying to you know, rush him down there to be the final vote. But it turns out um, Worsley could not be flipped. And Kate Brophy McGee was, was firm in her, op- you know, in her uh, opposition to that repeal. Um, so just very interesting watching the final jockeying. But ultimately, they were unsuccessful. So Prop 305, as it's known, will have uh, an appearance on the November 2018 ballot. The expanded program remains on hold. And uh, the AEA weighed in on what they thought should happen with this, uh, again, in the final hours of the session. Um, Joe Thomas told me that his lobbyists were also lobbying for a repeal. He says, look, if this thing gets repealed, vouchers, universal vouchers aren't expanded, and we would consider that a win. SOS would consider that uh, a failure because the people wouldn't have a say. Does there seem to be some some fracturing going on between these different groups, and were they ever really on the same page, I guess, to begin with? And SOS Arizona, I should say, is the group that collected all the signatures that forced Prop 305. Well, we're getting into a spilling the tea speculative territory here, but it, it's hard to kind of, um, you know, draw the lines here because I was at a press conference during the, the walkout where um, leaders of the you know, um, 
this so-called invest in education ballot initiative effort that is underway. Um, you know, the leaders, David Lujan with the Arizona Center for Economic Progress and Josh Buckley, a Mesa teacher, um, al aligned with the AEA, um, you know, were, were announcing the, the details in their ballot proposal. And Beth Lewis, um, chair of Save Our Schools Arizona, was there at the press conference. She was among the folks who stood behind the podium, apparently in support. And I did speak with her. Um, you know, very briefly afterward, and you know, she said, uh, I, I, she said her, the the SOS effort and and the underdog you know grassroots campaign that they fought last summer, gathering signatures and triple digit heat, you know, helped kind of motivate and, and set the course for what could be possible here, um, and and the the invest in ed campaign is certainly going to take a page out of their playbook, and and she said that you know. I'm excited to, and again, this is paraphrasing, but I'm excited to, you know, activate our volunteer network. So uh, on one end, you have um, Beth Lewis signaling, you know, some level of support toward this effort. Um, and on the other end... Yeah, I mean, and then you've, on the other end, you've had other leaders of SOS say that, you know, they're, that they're not confident that that's the right approach, um, and they're, they're more focused on vouchers. So I... Yeah, I mean, I think it's been really interesting just that they're between Red for Ed and SOS and the, you know, AEA, they're, they're three different groups with, you know, with, with different leaders and they're not always in lockstep. And it's, you know, I think sometimes people just see them as united front. And so it'll be interesting to watch um, how that plays out in terms of all these competing priorities for the fall. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what the priorities of um, this initiative, this this group, I mean, what, what are they beyond... Um you know, trying to bring more money into education. This is the, the, the key priority now for Arizona Educators United. Um, you know, at this raucous rally after signing, not signing die, but after the governor signed the education portion of the budget Thursday morning, you know, they were um, claiming victory, you know, saying that the, the walkout, the threat of the walkout made this happen, made lawmakers pony up more money for education than they probably would have had that not been the case. Um, and they said the next step here is we need to take this to the ballot box. We need to um, gather signatures for the Invest in Education Act. Um, and, and everything these days has a neat hashtag to it. <laughs> hashtag Red for Ed, hashtag 20 by 2020. Uh, this, this hashtag, you know, they're calling it the hashtag Invest in Ed proposal. So um, they are fully focused on that. Um, I spoke with one of the organizers, Rebecca Gorelli. Uh, she is a teacher in the Alhambra School District. And, um, you know, she basically said that the group is going to throw its weight on this and, and really shoot for the stars in terms of the signature gathering effort. So th for this to make it on the November ballot, it needs 150,000 valid signatures by July 5th. Um, David Lujan, Josh Buckley, they said that they're going to shoot for 200,000 in that area just to have that wiggle room. Um, it seems that, that, you know, AEU is going to, you know, shoot for a much higher number. Um, you, she threw, Gorelli threw out 600,000 signatures, which is a lot. Um, kind of walked back on that later. Um, but I, I think it's safe to say to expect a very significant effort on their end. Right. And this is a plan that essentially proposes to tax the wealthy. 
uh, and to have them pony up more money to help fund education. This is a, a very populist message that uh, has been tried in the recent past. Uh, Bernie Sanders tried it. It didn't work. Uh, David Garcia uh, early in his campaign was was talking about income equity and uh, everyone paying their fair share. Ron, you've watched this type of argument play out um, in Arizona by national candidates in recent years. How has it played and how do you foresee it playing out this cycle? Look, I think the unifying theory of all these groups that we've just been talking about really is that the one thing they all have in common is they they seem to have uh, great disdain for the status quo and they are able to mobilize a lot of people. And it's kind of, it's interesting to see how much energy these folks are able to bring to the table and the ideas that are, they are willing now to talk about openly. That the idea about an explicitly soak the rich kind of tax strategy uh, and say, let's take that one to the voters and see where it goes, is really kind of a departure from what we've seen in the past where we're talking about tax fairness and in a state where we've cut taxes for you know more than 25 years now. Uh, this is a real departure from what has been Arizona's policy in education, in state finances generally. You can tell that there is a a new attitude that is prevailing that whatever we've been doing, it isn't working, and that there is great sentiment that it's time to do something very different. And I think that's that's a fairly potent um, sense that, uh, especially because the Republicans control the, the state government here, they are on notice that these folks are out there, they are active, and they are watching. Literally, they are watching you into the night. Yeah, I think kind of a theme for me here is that, you know, not everyone that behind this teacher movement is as progressive as some of the leaders. Um, you know, when Save Our Schools expressed hesitancy about this ballot initiative, one of their concerns was that this is a more partisan type of initiative than they'd like to see. I think maybe they're looking at a more kind of like compromised tax plan Um and yeah, I mean, some of the leaders of Red for Ed, like Noah Carvelis, you know, these are very progressive folks. I mean, the first time I saw Carvelis down here at the Capitol, he was speaking to endorse David Garcia, the Democrat running for governor. You know, he was involved in supporting Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, but some of the leaders of like Save Our Schools, for example, they're, you know, they're not coming from that more progressive um, left vein of politics. These are people that are just concerned about school funding and they don't want this to be cast as kind of a more um, radical left progressive movement. They want this to be kind of a broad compromise, you know, a broad, you know, sort of um, middle of the road group um, pushing for kind of common sense tax reform. And one that will be sustained. And just to lend some kind of perspective as to how the leaders of this ballot effort were, were thinking when they crafted the, the, the language. So, you know, um, they told us that they they focused on the the wealthiest of the wealthy here in Arizona um, because they felt it it improved their chances of having this pass. You know, basically they said uh, Arizonans are more likely to get behind it if they don't have to pay for it. So you know, think of that what you will. Certainly, there has already been criticism lobbed at at um, this effort and the Arizona Chamber of Commerce right after um, this thing dropped, put out a press release saying that it would oppose, um, you know, oppose it if it were to make it on the November ballot. And um, I think 
just judging from the resolve of you know the organizers from the Red for Red movement, um, that seems to be pretty likely. We've already seen that happen with a you know uh, much less powerful in terms of numbers um, you know effort with Save Our Schools Arizona. So we'll see where it goes. In recent days, we have uh, seen excerpts of The Restless Wave, which is uh, U.S. Senator John McCain's forthcoming book, which will be released on the 22nd. We've received a copy of it ourselves. And he talks a lot about his hopes for America, that Americans will put the divisive partisan politics behind them and move forward towards a common cause. He also got real about his condition and um, how he he foresees maybe the coming weeks or months uh, ahead of him. He talks about how he would like to really spend his final days at his home near Sedona and that he will be buried near his old uh, Navy Academy friend, Chuck Larson, who is a familiar character for people who know uh, Senator McCain well. Um, what do we know about his condition and what his plans may be for services? So the family is put out in from various m- modes um, messages about him being slightly better, that he is up and moving around, that he has been chatty with people, even if he's still weakened. Um, we get the sense that this is a man who is still with us, that he is not just bedridden and and we're all just waiting for the worst. So that's good. We also get the sense that the inevitable is is approaching and that the family is is wrestling with it and the the senator is obviously uh, dealing with this as well. He's made clear his plans uh, include a, a ceremony here in Phoenix. There will be a service at the National Cathedral in Washington and there will be burial in Annapolis, and that he would like the vice president to attend, along with other dignitaries that you might expect for uh, someone of his standing. He's also kind of made it clear that the uh, the president is not welcome, which is sort of pulling the scab off this continuing fight with Donald Trump. And we've seen some back and forth. There's been some uh, uh, sentiment from folks like Orrin Hatch in the the president should be invited to an event like this. And as recently as this morning, we saw Meghan McCain sort of reminding everybody that this is still a person. This is her family. It's her father. And that they need to back off, chill out, as she put it, and give the family space to um, deal with what is undoubtedly a very difficult situation. So um, they're really kind of processing it, making plans that they have uh, described as, you know, uh, somewhat in flux, and and we will see what happens with the president. But it's hard to imagine, given everything that has transpired already, uh, it's hard to imagine that the president will ultimately participate in this in in much way, even if he were formally invited. And we should say, as we're recording this, that uh, Senator Hatch has apologized to Senator McCain for saying it was uh, ridiculous for McCain to request that uh, Trump not attend his funeral. Uh, He uh, acknowledged on Tuesday that he should not have said anything. 
final segment, we are spilling the tea. Dustin, what do you got? Governor Doug Ducey's school safety and gun safety plan, which failed um, to get a vote on the final day of the session, that ultimately died, I'm hearing, largely because of um, opposition or kind of concerns from Republicans. Um, It was amended several times um, to water it down from what the governor had originally proposed, specifically the portion that would create a severe threat order of protection, uh, allowing a a judge to... um, issue a new type of restraining order to keep guns away from people who are unstable. That piece was watered down substantially. The governor's office wanted to um, get it amended to restore some of those provisions, and ultimately it died on the floor um, largely because of Republicans. Ricardo. So uh, <clears throat> teachers, Red Fred movement came out on top with this walkout, and in terms, you know, speaking about the broader picture here, but, um, you know, this was a rapidly evolving walkout and, and just in a state of hyperfluidity, and, and an example of that was um, last Tuesday when the organizers said that they will, you know, move to end the walkout if state lawmakers pass their budget by um, by Thursday. Plot twist: they they didn't. Um, you know, some of the teachers that I spoke with, some of the rank and file, um, immediately after that announcement, you know, were you know, expressed disappointment. Uh, you know, some sort of anger beyond that. You know, many of them were saying they were willing to wait out the the legislature, you know, and and, and the governor and, and, and this whole, uh, you know, stalemate that, that was kind of unfolding. They, they, were, they were mad at the messaging that organizers sent, you know, saying that they would end this. Um, a lot of people were still clearly riled up uh, that Tuesday evening at the Capitol. So, you know, did it really... Uh, play or hamper um, the movement in any way. Not really, <laughs> but, um, you know, clearly there were a lot of emotions, you know, flying out, and that was one aspect of it. So, Ron. Well, if I can help uh, spill some weak tea with you here, um, Vice President Pence was in town last week and talking ostensibly about the Trump tax cut legislation that passed in December. Um, the public polling on this has shown that this has not been a huge winner for Republicans. And you were at the event last week. I mean, did you get the sense from the public that they were just super excited about this? Or was it more of a partisan side-taking event? I mean, they seemed really excited to see Joe Arpaio, Jan Brewer, Governor Ducey, who typically doesn't get the type of like rock star, hardcore welcomings with this type of crowd that uh, Brewer and, and Arpaio get. I mean, they seem to be there for the personalities. Um, so it, it, I think it's tough to say how the tax reform issue will play into the elections. Uh, I sense that there's still quite an appetite to um, hear more about those said personalities and maybe policy. Yeah. And and again, that's consistent with what we've seen in polling and other races uh, around the country and even here in the West Valley most recently. This has really been a second order issue uh, to the extent people even care about it. So uh, and it's telling that they're still trying to talk it up at this point, uh, because, you know, let's be honest, it's the most significant accomplishment that the administration has at this point, And they they need to get points on the board. It was also a way to bring Pence, who was very popular with establishment Republicans out here to Arizona to hold a, uh, a fundraiser to 
benefit his uh, brochacho, Governor Doug Ducey. They've been friends for a long time. They shared the stage. Um, I think that that is a very good thing for Governor Ducey, who is, you know, really trying to brandish his Republican credentials as he heads into what looks to be like it could be a, a pretty, you know, difficult uh, primary or excuse me, general election. Um, I, I don't know that Mr. Bennett will put up much of a fight, but certainly he will make things a little bit difficult for Mr. Ducey. And he held a fundraiser that, you know, benefits the NRSC, which works to elect Republican senatorial candidates across the country. So he spent a lot of time here. And weak tea is still good tea nonetheless. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. I'm at Dustin Gardner, and that's G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R. And at Ricardo underscore Cano one, R-I-C-A-R-D-O-C-A-N-O. You can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you guys next week.